How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It's the Nightcap on 1140 The Bet. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Here's your host, Lindsey Brown. Nightcap, Lindsey Brown, you know the drill, and someone that has joined me for many a drill of this type, Michael McKenna, and he joins me again today, daily face-off contributor, former NHL netminder, and mostly, I think, my twin that I never knew existed until I moved out to Vegas, but now he lives in St. Louis to uh, provide all of his great hockey content, and how are you today, Mike? Well, I'm hanging in there. It's rainy, it's dreary, it feels like fall. Um, you know, some days it's weird. Like I actually kind of enjoy looking out and just seeing gray and damp. <laughs> Same. I don't know, man. I think it's just part of being alive. You know, like it's not, uh, it's not different. Not every day is going to be sunny and joyous. Some days you just want to hang inside and chill a bit. So, yeah. It's the appreciation of the human experience, right? Not all saves yeah. are amazing, but sometimes they get the job done. And sometimes it's good to learn from the goals against too. Yeah. And, and you know, what's cool, Lindsay, is that today, my daughter, Kenlin, my eight-year-old, she's got a hockey tournament all weekend long. So I get to uh, stand on the bench, and I guess we call it coaching. Um, when you're dealing with 8U, it's pretty much just roll them out four lines and let them play. Yep. But uh, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> and that's all all of us really can do. I, I, I spent a, a big chunk of time coaching before I, I wandered down this particular path. And honestly, there's a lot of bribery involved and just hopefully a lot of positive reinforcement because it's a game. I, I I know we had a plan to start with uh, with a certain topic here, at least a certain goalie topic, but I want to talk to you about uh, a tweet that you actually sent out today, which is a great bridge to what we're talking about right now. Because somebody tweeted at you and asked, what can I do to help a nine-year-old with fear of disappointing his coach by being scored on and then being pulled if he does? This year he's playing scared and not focused on his game slash worry. That comes from Levi Alanik. Uh your response is perfect, but I'll give you uh, the spot and our, our, our place here to have a larger conversation because I'm in lockstep with you. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the tweet uh, that, and that was a kind of a follow up as well. That, yeah. You know, this kid's nine years old and he's playing, I don't know what level hockey. He's in Canada. I, see, I can tell he's in Alberta yeah, from the Super Sleuth Twitter finds, you know, <laughs> when you see where people are from. And, yeah. Man, it just bugs me that it's like, First off, youth hockey, all the kids should be playing. Same amount of ice time, doesn't matter what their performance is like. Put them out there, let them play, let them have fun. And there's code words in here, you know. Mm. There's a follow-up tweet that said, he's 
playing at the elite level of other people. There Love is the word no elite. Thing as, there's no such thing as elite yep. for nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds. Sorry. Like, that's been the most bastardized word in all of hockey and all of sports. If you want to start a hockey camp, you're going to toss elite in the name somewhere. 100%. Like, you're trying to make yourself sound more credible than you really are. I've seen high school goalies that are just absolute posers acting like they've played somewhere and calling their camps elite. And I'm just, I'm sick of this. Like, I I know this sounds kind of mean, but it's like, man, your kid is not, like, special. Like, (laughs) I don't don't mean that. that That's not mean, though. That's the truth. Because even the kids that are hyper-talented or even show that at a young age, that doesn't make them special. That doesn't make them uh, privy to a different type of coding or or expectations. Those are placed on by the parents, by the coaches, by the environment. And that's where, like you said, it's – I think coaching needs to be more of an advocate position more than anything. and. We'll get into the larger conversation behind that as well. But in terms of this micro level, uh, I I was fortunate that my dad, who played hockey but didn't play goalie, understood that he had limitations in his understanding. And just that that realization in general causes a shift in a mindset or just a, a different mindset than I think is being displayed by this parent and many hockey parents or just sports parents we've seen. Because this is right. just and, a product of the hyper-professionalization of youth sports. It is. And, you know, the parent did the right thing in asking me and wondering. I truly wanted help here. And I greatly appreciate that. And this mm-hmm. is not on the parent whatsoever. It's, it's on the organizations. Like, how can you have a coach that's doing this for, you know, 10U hockey, which is scored hockey? Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing, you know? And I just... That I feel bad for the parent because maybe they're in a small town in Alberta and that's the only place they can play. I don't have the answer. Why to are that. people like that, but Mike? That, Why are coaches that like that? Coaching. I don't. He shouldn't be coaching. Straight up, he shouldn't be allowed children allowed around children if he's placing performance benchmarks on nine year olds for them to get ice time. Period. Right. You're going to ruin kids. Like it's about having fun. And it's not just uh, their hockey careers. You're going to ruin kids' relationship with with uh, exercise, with performance. Like, there's unbelievable ripple effects to any sort of traumatic event that transpires on a bench. And that's why it's such a great responsibility, like you're saying. What did this coach experience to make him think this is the right thing to do? I've played at the highest levels, Lindsay, and I can tell everybody that thinks the right thing to do for kids is to push them hard at a young age. It's Mm. wrong. It's totally wrong. You can push them to be themselves. You can push them to enjoy the game. You can push them to try their hardest. But you don't push them with negative reinforcement. Mm-mm. You just can't. Like, man, when I'm coaching these kids, and, and coaching is really just wrangling pucks at this age. It's really all it is. Yeah. And providing them and providing them a, a fist bump and a smile. A positive environment. When I'm coaching these kids, the only thing that I'm going to take away ice time for is if they stand in the line, they punch each other. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's my rule. My only rule is that you are not going to come out on the ice and be violent and be disrespectful for each other. And if you do that, you can gladly get off the ice. Otherwise, I don't care. I honestly don't even care whether the kids try as hard as they can or not. I really 100% don't. Like, because you can't kids. bring your best every day. Like we we as adults oh. can't really do that. The fact that we trot that out with the expectation 
or or we just always have an emotional label attached to something that it doesn't belong with. Like I was watching a show and they mentioned like the label of a happy marriage, how people shouldn't lead with the happy marriage and make that assumption because not only is it probably untrue, it also creates the inherent comparison in other people. I'm pro if they're saying they're happy, I know that my marriage isn't as good. And that's where with players, with kids, with parents, I think it all loops back to ego, an unchecked ego in a way. Yep. Well, and they're just trying to live vicariously through that. And what gets perverted about it is that they think they, they just think that, you know, I'm, I'm, this is in the best interest of the kids. I just yeah. want them to be able to live their dreams. This will lead them to, to success. This will help them survive in the real world. Right, Mike? Oh. Right. And, and that's where you have to find your own way. So this has been our TED Talk, everyone. Um, <laughs> Lindsay, we're very, anybody, you ever get a chance to hang with Lindsay and I in person, you'll definitely understand where we come from on this because it's... We've seen a lot. <laughs> we've seen it, man. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and we're the most observant you know, people on the ice. And you made it to incredibly high-level play in Division One college hockey and women's game. You've seen it there. I've been to the NHL. I've seen it. I know we know what works and what doesn't, but yet people still continue to ignore it. So, right. What do you think? Should we, should we make a transition here? I, I think maybe it's time. I'll let you, you lead the you, way. Go? Well, you know, I was watching last night and I saw colorado and st louis and by the way a really spirited game which was awesome agreed Just which awesome. is what you would hope to see especially from the avalanche right now because they're searching from for some semblance of of the success they relied upon last year because their power play is almost as bad as the golden knights yes it's uh they're rocking at about 11.1 percent which is not where it needs to be and i actually have a piece coming out on daily faceoff today about teams uh and how they're producing with their special teams oh and really colorado, uh, ironically enough, we had we didn't even script this out. No, that's hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> but I do have Colorado picked as one of my teams to inevitably do better to, to improve their power play. They're eleven point one percent now. Uh, I expect them to get up to the twenty percent range by the end of the season, where they've historically been. But they, what's funny is that they've got such a dynamic lineup, but they haven't been overbearing on the power play the last couple of years. They've been good, mm-hmm. but not really at the pointy end. And I do wonder for that team how much they miss Jonas Donskoy. He was oh, 100%, Mike. Oh. Big-time secondary scorer, especially their second power play. That was my big question for Colorado this year. Yeah. It had nothing to do with their big dogs. It was how much will they miss Jonas Donskoy. Honestly, I think um, they miss him more than they do Philip Grubauer, and it's ironic that they both ended up on the same team. I agree. I agree. And, and Brandon, Sott, Brandon Sott as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, watching this game, uh, we had a bitter moment. Jordan Bennington went bananas. Your man. For him, for him, bananas is, you know, it's, it's a mild outburst, and it's so much fun to watch when it happens. He's getting in the mix. He's upset at Nazem Kadri, mm-hmm. and he, <laughs> in a controlled manner, just waved his stick by Kadri's head. Now, he missed him by a solid three feet, and clearly it was on purpose, but the reaction Kadri had, Lindsay, did you see Oh, him? yeah. Absolutely. And and I, I the, Jordan Bennington is an example of a guy who really pushes the edge. And he's probably the most uh, the the most comparative to Patrick Waugh, who played with an edge. Now, I'm not comparing comparing successes or anything like that, but just of I, I asked you last night because we were texting during this game. And I, I asked if Binner had an animal personality representative, what would it be? 
and you told me Wolverine, which I thought is perfect. But as we're talking about this now, I in my head, I'm conjuring up an image of, of like an encaged tiger that's just walking back and forth in the cage. You know, that of we've seen like in movies when big cats are just kind of pissed off that they're encaged and they just lap, 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 watching you, watching yeah. you. And the Wolverine, this is all in the same uh, kind of spirit, obviously. But with that, also at the crux, why are we swinging sticks at people? I get it. You're, it's not on purpose. He's not going to hit him. But at the same time, you're going so far to actually swing. What if there's an accident? And that's where I'm just like, ah, but that's just me. I could. I really thought about it, though, and it's like, you know this is a situation where he's not going to hit him. No, exactly. It's not going to happen. But it's and the it's example so it sets. <laughs> yeah, like you can't swing your stick. No. In, like, we can't punch people with blockers on, Mike. Like, that's not right. allowed. Like, you can't swing your stick no. in the vicinity of somebody, much less at their head. But, the like, the entire – and everybody knows that. Like, yeah. everybody knows you can't do that. And but the, but it's the culture. Way. He's competitive. And it's like – that's the thing. It's it's one foot on each side of the line because I like the competitive edge but it also it keeps pushing that line ever so further out each time. And like yep. I said, accidents happen. What I like about it is that he knew he was pushing the boundaries there. Mm-hmm. He knew it's a tactic. when he did that that there was a chance he was going to get fined. Mm-hmm. I don't think – I mean, he wasn't going to hit him. Okay, no. If he hit him, it was a total accident. And I think in that type of scenario, you eat it. You take whatever suspension. Sure. You wouldn't have hit him hard enough to really hurt him anyway. Sure. But – when you swing your stick like that, you're knowingly thinking, yeah, I might get fined here, but you know what? It's going to fire up the boys. It's going to get everything good. I'm yep. showing my displeasure. I'm invested in this game. And people around the league just continually try to say, like, look at Bennington doing his thing again. And, like, right. no, his teammates love it. Craig Berube loves it. It's Brad Marchand and goalie gear. Same type of tactic. Yes. Same type of tactic as yeah. Tom Wilson. It's people that – some people just take their actions too far. And But it, it, yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me because it's so rare that you see a goalie who can be an instigator like that because we're taught so much to be that, that calming presence, a stoic presence – uh, never too high, never too low, at least don't show it because we're the barometers, especially in the defensive zone. And we've all watched our you know, favorite hockey team, whoever happens to be listening to this podcast, when you get stuck in your zone for a long time and you just get caught in that spin cycle. And so yep. when when I see that from him, it, it's just a fascinating skill set because I had to be one of those people that had to focus on myself. I, I remember going into my college coach's office and basically advocating for myself to be a captain in my senior season because I think that I, at the time I was, a, I was a good leader, and I was, but not in the way that commanded a C. And sometimes that's a, a fit for position, a fit for person, but Bennington is, is an exception in many ways to that. His game gets yeah. better when he's riled up like that, and as you said, it's about the rallying call for the team and the getting off the game yeah. of their opposition and you know Lindsay, i think this is an important distinction to make that not mm. everybody gets fired up the same way for so right. long it's always been like you have to be the you know what phrase i just can't stand cool calm and collected oh. drives me batty but that was what it just people said that's what you have to be to be a goalie you have to just ignore everything and you have to only focus on yourself and the puck and like mm-hmm. man that doesn't work for everybody like no. when I'd get angry, when I'd get angry, I was better. My mom used to always say this, and I know she was right. Don't piss Mike off. Mm-hmm. And 
it was real. It's like when a team would run me or end up in my crease. Yeah, or, or spray you on a save or something like that. Yeah, Chop it, your hands it, when you covered a puck. It's like my senses my senses got so heightened when it occurred that I I, I hyper focused. Like mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I don't know why, but that's how it was for me. And I think I see you a locked lot of that into the loop. Yeah, yeah, you're in the zone. And everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody is completely different. But there are people like Bennington, like myself, like Patrick Waugh that you mentioned earlier that, man, you get them fired up and watch out because they are a Wolverine. Right. And and it, it's just about knowing that personal responsibility of what you need to do and then making sure you're not imposing it on other players. Because like it's the, this culture obviously calls for a, a heavy level of commitment and adherence to people. But you also have yeah. to give people the space to be themselves. Otherwise, you're not going to get the absolute best product you can. I'm not saying that in terms of performance, but I'm saying that in terms of the people that show up to perform for you, because ultimately that's what matters. Yep, it is. I mean, like, I just, I, man, I, I just, that was so entertaining last night. Yeah, hundred percent. I, you were watching that game and I was, I was watching the wild go to Seattle for the first time. And, and what an interesting night for Theo Fleury, who was reinserted back into that lineup, had two goals last night. I'm pretty sure his career total is like four, his, his best season's like three. And he had two last night and, you know, the expansion team offers fresh starts. We're acutely aware of that here in the, the Las Vegas Valley. And especially for you and I professionally, um, but about Flurry, about Ryan Donato, who ended up being their, uh-huh. the, the, the goal scorer of their first ever goal and has managed to look different than what I saw him when he was in a wild sweater and even in a shark sweater last year. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that and how the psychology of turning one's self-image around goes in these situations, in these fresh starts. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think so too. I don't disagree with you whatsoever. Oh, I think it's. I mean, who you look around the league? Like, how many people actually really need fresh starts? You know, like, so I, many. Like you know, and you kind of get locked in. Like especially Lindsay, you see this from the inside when you're a player that, like, you have like being a free agent doesn't happen until real late in a career. <laughs> you know, right. and, and I'm just talking about players that kind of get stuck into that cycle of, well, I'm their property and it's until you're 27 years old. And like, it, it takes a lot of hubris to walk in and think, yeah, I think I need a change of scenery because teams just want to keep their assets as long as you can. But you do see the bump that people get. Sometimes you go to a new place and you're just so excited to play. And, and even like, I know Seattle hasn't knocked the doors down in the league, but Man, you can see the enthusiasm. On They're the loud. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and not just like the fans and the team themselves on yeah. the ice. Like there's an energy there. There's a vibe there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard to recreate. And that's exciting for people. You know, it's exciting. That's the reason why, you know, when Kevin Fiala comes into Minnesota, Love like, that. he'd kind of been dead in the water in Nashville for a little bit. And, you know, he gets to Minnesota, takes a little bit, and all of a sudden, bang, he gets a change of scenery with a new coach in Dean Evison, and then it goes right off. So it's not necessarily always changing teams. It can be changing personnel that can be that can breathe right life into somebody. A change of scenery, coaching staff, line mates, all those types of things can play in. So, Mike, let's 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 keep going down this road here because I've been very critical of Chandler Stevenson in his performance in the season so far for the Golden Knights. Had a goal the other night. Um, I forget who they played in the before the back to back before Dallas because time is a social construct. And my ba- if 
I'm Darla in uh, <laughs> Finding Colorado. Nemo. My bag is being <laughs> shaked up, and I'm very discombobulated in Colorado. But in, in terms of, I, I don't think there's anybody that's mi- that fits that description better for me in my mind right now than Chandler Stevenson, who took his opportunity with, with Vegas the second he got here and ran with it. He scored in his first game on a breakaway. I remember watching it. I think he's a great player. He's a speed demon. He, he knows where to be in certain parts of the ice. But defensively, he's struggled. He's, but so is the rest of the team. And as I said, the line is quite different. But how do you deal with with that next kind of revolution? Because you have that initial buy and that that magic that we're talking about with Seattle and then more specifically on an individual level with with Flurry, with Donato and with Stevenson. How does he how do you recapture that outside of of just kind of going down into that grind mode? Because I don't know, I'm still searching for answers for him, but I'm not sure if there's one to be found until he gets his guys back. Well, yeah, but he is leading the team in scoring, ironically enough. Now, right. I mean, nobody else is producing. So, exactly. Um, I mean, like the, the natural progression for Chandler Stevenson would be to really start getting things going on the power play when he gets his opportunities there, to me. Because I think five on five, he skates well enough. He's able to generate enough. He doesn't have great scoring touch, um, but purely based on how he skates, he gets opportunities. If you want to see him take the next level with those guys out of the lineup, if he can start to put the puck in the net on the power play and actually just bury, right? We're talking finish. Mm-hmm. You know, not just because he gets a breakaway and he gets open or picks up a rebound. For him to get the puck on his blade, skate towards net, and beat a goalie clean. That's what you'd like to see more of from Stevenson. And I think that, you know, his reliance on speed is sometimes detrimental mm-hmm. it almost overexerts him in that he knows that's his strength and he needs to do that and right now he's playing with some line mates that are intermixed you know he's, he's got a grab bag of people coming out and that you don't really know how to trust them where they're going to be you yeah know, like you can't make the you, self-selection or at least give you the the same menu selections that you have that they're going to be able to execute on the stretch pass that you're that you're waiting for for all of those breakaways like you have to make right. that adjustment yeah, and you know, and you know the defensive side, right? Like yeah. Mark Stone's going to be in the right place often, and, and exactly. Max Pacioretty's going to crack back through the middle and pick up the right guy. And I don't think that that comfortability is there. And you know, for Stevenson, like with that speed, like you just, it's so hard not to be a puck hound as a centerman at all times. Mm-hmm. And that communication is sometimes what's looked missing to me. Um, and, and that's not to say he doesn't communicate, but I'm not sure his line mates are totally in sync whenever he's playing. And I think that's throughout the Golden Knights lineup. You've seen that, that they haven't played consistently, not because the big dogs are out of the lineup, because they're just not used to playing with one another. And I yeah. think that's why the, mis- the misfit line, it, you know, they it's may a- not have a ton of points, but they've been the most consistent in terms of producing chances and puck possession. They know where to be with each other. And we know it's what to a, expect from them, most importantly, yeah. to loop back to your and earlier the, point. The problem, is that, the problem is that they're also facing a top matchup from the opposing team. Mm-hmm. So life's even harder on them to try to produce, and that's where you know, Stevenson's got to find line mates to go with them. Because right now, it's just it's, it's bingo balls, Lindsay. Like, yeah. <laughs> when you're putting the lineup together, it's basically who's healthy and where can we put them. Yeah, and that's why too. It's with all that pressure, with the extra rocks in in the knapsacks for the for the golden misfits, and just the inconsistency down the forward group. That's why I think we're seeing uh, Alex Petrangelo kind of even go to another extreme with how he plays. We know that he's a he's a guy that loves the puck on a stick that moves autonomously. That that is almost a drill wrecker in a way. But some people are allowed to be that because they are that good because they have the vision, and he's absolutely one of those those players. 
But to loop back to the menu selection metaphor, I'm like, if you're playing 28 minutes a night, Alex, you can't be jumping up in every rush because then it, this whole game will be rushes. And that's not what this team can play at right now. Because if we're just leaving Marshy up to cover for you at, at the point in the offensive zone all the time, at some point you're going to put him in a position that he's not really equipped to handle. But you are. Is there a better allocation of these resources or better times to step? It's, it's, it's hard to find that adjustment, especially with how much talent is missing from this team and how much implicit communication that their exclusion comes with. It feels like to me they're just rolling the dice too much. They're yeah. Playing, like, it feels like for the first time the Golden Knights are just playing run and gun. Like they're so... Wing it. Figure it out. They, really, they are just so intent on creating rush chances and they don't have the... They really don't have the skill to do it right no. now. And you end up with... A, how many times against Dallas, did the Golden Knights have four players below the hash marks in the offensive zone, and it came back the other direction. Yep, and, below those like, tops of the circles. They love to do that, and especially with how when Carlson and that misfit line, this is one of the biggest qualms I have when they go through the zone entries. They pull up so high in the zone to start cutting to the middle. Like, there's no margin for error, and they know that. Once they have notes, we're just, oh, this is where I pressure, and I'll bring the puck back the other way, and all of a sudden we have no reinforcements. Yep. I think that, you know, I, there's, there seemed to be a conscious decision on for, by the Golden Knights to try to essentially just double down on being a rush team. Like, they were one of the best, if not the best rush team in the NHL last year, the top two or three. Mm. And in playoffs, everybody knew, take their rush away. That's what Montreal did. That's what Dallas did the year they before. They won't commit to a disciplined game. You can beat them in seven games yeah. easily that way because they're not even practicing it, Mike. This is this is no. where practice makes permanent, where where they need to foundational foundationally build their game up the old-fashioned way we all were taught that you're teaching your daughter. And let's take it another step, and let's do it. We're going in. Go the in. Power play. The power play. Oh, yeah. The the. I mean, decline them and play five on five. Yes. The, what is happening right now is the Golden Knights are not only so far in their own heads. They mm-hmm. have they've had chances on the power play. Oh like, yeah. Riley Smith had some good chances. I can remember Nolan Patrick picking up a rebound against Colorado that um, whoever the D man was for Colorado made a big save on. Trust, <laughs> the, process, trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. DeBoer yeah. keeps going. I'm like, you know, but like, the process isn't paying out, Pete. This is the problem because that's where it, it, it forces players even deeper into their own holes because they're just right. being told, you're doing what you need to do. You're doing what you need to do. It's almost like gaslighting in a way. It's performance I gaslighting. Just, I, I look at how they're trying to generate and they want to make passes. They want a one-time pucks. Yep. But teams have taken it all the way. They've packed the middle. They're not allowing it. And the Golden Knights don't have people in motion. They don't have routes that nope. open lanes. So what they end up doing is just trying to – they're trying Move to – around the outside. They're trying to wrist pucks from the blue line and hope. Yep. And that's just not going to happen in today's game. Like, you might grab a couple of those if you have options, but they don't have any other options. It gets out to Petrangelo. He's stationary, and he wrists it at the net. Yep. Like – that's not going to cut it in today's NHL. You need Alex Petrangelo coming down Broadway, smacking one-timers. You need to look at the strengths of your team with people out. Jonathan Marchessault should be planted on the dot like Steven Stamkos, like Alexander mm-hmm. Ovechkin, and you let him tickle the scoreboard with the backswing and pound that puck. Yeah, he should be stationary. His, and if it's not doing it on his off wing, he mm-hmm. needs to be on his proper wing on the right side, and he needs to be catching pucks in motion with his feet going downhill towards the net, just like Connor Brown of the Ottawa Senators, who's had success so far this season, right. just like Taylor Hall, who used to do it for a multitude of teams. 
just like, you know, basically every other team's got somebody in motion going towards the net with the puck on their stick and ripping it. Right. And you utilize the D as a screen. If you don't get the D as a screen, you can still beat the goalie clean, and you have people converge at the net and pick up rebounds. Right. And ultimately, who do you want taking that shot? Is it Marshy or is it Petrangelo? Like, who do you want that setup for? Because if that's the setup we need to have, then we also have to create that that um, facade from other players, kind of what, what Theodore did the other night when uh, they were out with an extra attacker where he, he started going across the zone, backing up, backing up, and then he pushed it back to Marshy from the side he was skating away from. And so that opened yeah. that, that, that space and it creates that angle. And as you said, that motion. And if that's the look they're trying to get, that's how they got in that iteration. But now that's on tape. How do we keep creating that one if that's the one we're trying to create? Uh, I, uh, we've been going over this for two years at this point. I know. And that's where like, it, it really comes down to player motion and moving the puck quickly. It's as simple as that. There's no magic yeah. part of the equation here. I just don't see the players in motion with enough with enough movement. You know, like you've got to go, and you have to create situations where the defense has to make a choice: mm-hmm. Are they going to attack you with the puck? Which lane do they take away? And if you're stationary, if you're just feeding pucks around the top of the the umbrella, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. They don't have to make choices; they just yeah. stay in the middle. Like they've made it. Dallas's penalty kill looks so easy. Yeah. It was a big it was a box that just stayed in the middle and they let the Golden Knights just move it around the top because they knew it wasn't coming from anywhere dangerous. And it, the, and they yeah. you know, the, the top penalty killers for Dallas when the puck eventually moved off to to closer to the wall, they flexed out, they took the player away, you force it back to the middle. Yep. And it's simple. Like it looks easy to kill against the Golden Knights, and we haven't even talked about the fact that they have a hard time getting it into the zone in the first place. Correct, Mike! So, God, I, we were like, just best friends. I mean, how can... You can't score if you can't stay in the zone. That's and what I, Nolan I, Patrick is and, for for me. Like, honestly, that's something I identified with, with him when he was skating around here, but it, it's... Also about the player's confidence, too, because he's obviously injured, but if they're not feeling confident to be able to even take and win a battle, you're just going to start shying away from things or you'll start uh, going towards the middle, but not with as much intentionality as you're talking about with Dallas on penalty kills. and Because there's there's a difference between corralling the, the, the players in the middle and the players setting up a, a fortress or a structure that you're just operating a, uh, around the outside of. Yep, that's all it is. It's just perimeter. And, yeah. you know, and that's where, like, the few times that they broke through and managed to get the puck to Marsh or so in the middle of open ice, uh, several games ago, he just missed the net. <laughs> and yeah. talk about your confidence spiraling. Yep. Um, that's, that's Mistakes tough. happen. You know, that's, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I don't know where the, that's going to get better. I do think they got to tighten up defensively straight yes. up. They can't be dumping the D into every single rush. You just can't. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to send the D every rush. No, and they it's need to sustain it down low and in their opponent's offensive zone and just give – actually grind their opposition down and make them commit to the tough game too. Right. Like it's, yep. it's all simple calculus. If you really think about it, it's, <laughs> it just, like you said, it, it, people get caught up in their own loops and their own emotions and their own kind of, I'm not good enough for this team or this team isn't good enough that I've built right now. And it causes people to make different decisions in the moment that are small and big ones as well. And, and I, I get a little nervous with, with Vegas because there's just so much expectation on this team in a weak division that they're already – granted, they've won back-to-back, but that also transpired in just 48 hours. Otherwise, they haven't shown us uh, that 
that ability to build up their game. They never really have. Like you said, we've, we've talked about the rushes. We've talked about all these things. It's so surface level. And so that's where I'm looking for that next layer of commitment. But you would think you would get that with the talent of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty out because you just kind of all go in us against the world, like grind mentality, nose to the grindstone. But Stone is that kind of personified. And so yep. it's an identity thing. It's a culture thing. The team itself, I don't think, has done itself many favors in that just based off of decisions they've made. Do you think that they're uh, – let's just talk about Eichel. Okay. Let's go Let's go there. Do you let's think do that it. the waters are indicating something of that transparent? Because, like I said, desperate situations, you want to usher in uh, just the team that they've put so much investment in already, and it's not like he won't be serviceable once all their guys come back. But I'm not sure. If, has he had surgery yet? Nope. And are we nope. sure about that? Because, I mean, honestly, he I'm... could hide it technically. I'm not saying he has, but – if he's if it's just his agents dealing with Buffalo, I don't know. You've played in the game. I could be talking crazy right now. You tell me if well, I'm if I am. If he goes and gets the surgery, doing whatever he wants, and he comes back, everything's null and void. Like you do have to have the team. The team gets the ultimate say on it, and they can. If you go outside of that, essentially they could void your contract. I believe. I don't know the technicality on the CBA, but but that would be a choice kind of that they would have to make. Like, what if he did? Could yeah. they say it's fine and we're going to trade you anyways because at least now we can move you? Like. Is that something yeah. that could ex- uh, happen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think. Just I, ask I, I, You know, look at this cycle situation, okay? I'm, I'm struggling to understand this, how it works for Vegas in any way that's constructive to an entire team. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you pull in another $10 million. I don't. I don't know. Who, like, you're, you're going to have to get rid of big dollars to do that. Like, I guarantee if this Eichel deal actually happens, because there's smoke out there. You mm-hmm. got uh, you got our own Frank Valley from DailyFaceOff.com, who's as connected as anybody in the game. You've got Elliot Friedman, mm-hmm. who's right in that ballpark, too, both saying that this is, it's a smolder right now. This is smoldering. It's not smoking, it's smoldering. Mm-hmm. And no doubt in my mind, one of the misfits is gone. Maybe Theodore. Yeah. Probably a pick. Maybe Hager Krebs, like Tuck? you're, you're going to be, dude. Like you're missing a lot of people. I actually don't think Tuck fits the bill on this. I'd be scared on Tuck if I was a GM around the league. He's been hurt so much the last couple of years that mm-hmm. I'd be very gun shy on him. And anything shoulder, and I think that's what. And correct me if I'm wrong, please. But I believe it's upper body. Would I can't remember if it was shoulder or not. But anybody that has shoulder problems, that's something you really worry about. And they have access to those medical records that we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be scared off on Tuck. But, man, like, Shea Theodore with that contract, you know everybody under the sun would love to have that. Exactly. At his age, too, when he's just about to start entering his prime, and we know that on any other team he's probably first-pair defenseman. And this team made a different decision when they signed Alex Petrangelo. And it, there's no judgment on that. Like, I understand that, but that comes with the consequences for Shea Theodore because he was supposed to be that 1A. He was supposed to be the one that was kind of catered to. And all of a sudden it goes to Petro. And again, it's fine, but he's an attractive piece. And I would say the same to Tuck. I, 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 I'm right there with you in terms of his injury history. And you and I have always been in lockstep on the, on the Eichel thing, but isn't Tuck from up there? He's also injured. He has a friendly number. I'm just, 
I, I'm worried that based off of how many people I'm seeing in the arena every night and how many stories I've heard about people still being very upset with this team for moves that they have made, uh-huh. that this this is Vegas. This is this is showtime. Mark Stone himself, this is an entertainment product. I'm an entertainer at the core. Well, you know what yep. puts butts in seats? Somebody with a shot like Jack Eichel's. But it could it uh-huh. could be an absolute deviation or or one click too far well it's already been one click yeah. too far when that's, true. that's true that's like, true it's not one click i mean they turned the dial to 11 and kept it rocking when they got rid of flurry and, so and what's I'm, there to lose then that's i mean 10 million well we got to keep we got to keep swimming we got to keep trying I literally i don't think it matters at this point anymore you might as well because people have like yeah. the fans there and the people i talk to that I, I mean i have so many friends in vegas that are out like man i management, honest to God, in a lot of cities just do not care about fans. They really don't because their belief is that we're going to put a winning product on the ice and they're going to love us no matter what. Everybody they loves really the winner, I guess. They, they really, really believe that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In some cities, that's true. But, man, it was such a special connection with an expansion team with success right off the bat, and it's just the way it went down. Like, they yep. can win with Robin Leonard. They can win with LaRompe with Brassois. By the way, unreal game by Brassois. I'm not surprised by it. Mm-mm. But was this all necessary? Did you have exactly. to basically piss off your entire fan base? Because I, that's it. Everybody. Everybody. Yep. Oh, when they created Flurry, I felt like they ripped our heart out. They ripped my heart out. That's what yeah. it says. Like, the fans are saying it feels like it ripped my even heart Even Revo. Out. Like, I, I've heard even – and that's the thing. The, the personality of this team has been sent out and the ones that have been yep. brought in, while some of them are, are more talented than the ones that were here, and obviously I don't I don't put this in the, the situation with the goalies, and I'm not really going to name names, but you were in that practice arena with me. You knew how loud it was in there and how much camaraderie there was, even just between Marcheseau and Flurry, and, and just the Lindsay. echoes of the I rink was, and what that I does. I was on the ice Yeah, for it, that's true, exactly. And it's dead. <laughs> it's dead silent in there most days. I practiced Mike. with the team. Nobody's the at the practices, practice. Mike. It's bizarre. So, that was one of the first things I heard when I took took the deal to, to work for the Vegas Golden Knights was you're not going to believe it when you see practice. It's yeah. the Raptors. So, yeah. I mean, are people still showing up? Yeah. They're getting their tickets for 20 bucks off StubHub. Right. Cool. And they're not arriving until midway through the first period, and the vibe's totally different. And I'm saying this because I have fan friends that are in the building that I trust. Okay, I'm not there myself, but I trust them. Mm-hmm. And I trust when I look at the screen on national television and I see entire rows of expensive tickets with no butts in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of teams in this league that would love to still have 17,000 people. But I don't know the longevity. Does it stick around? Does it go to next year? Right. Because these these people that bought these tickets, they're not renewing them. They right. had them for this year for whatever they reason too. There's COVID. There's there's the dollars stretched thin. Like there's a bunch of different reasons. But like you said, they didn't do themselves any favors. They they got to where they needed to go, but they made moves that were unnecessary. Why did we have to go left on this street when we could have just gone two blocks up? Like honestly, yep. and and, yep. and ultimately. The ripping of the heart out. People will still show up, but they will never truly invest in that team again unless they find a person who has come in from the outside and is able to create it like Flurry did. And I don't know if they can. I I I, I don't know how you you can't that just organically happens. 
And so I, I, that's why I just didn't understand it. And we have to move on from that in terms of the bearing, but we can't. We also can't because it's such a, a shadow that is still cast over this team. And I don't know if they'll ever be able it, – it's going to be tough for this squad to move on from it or to kind of overcome it. I don't know. Great questions. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent points are made. I, you know, I am I feel like we've done a whole lot of doom and gloom on this. And, yeah. and that kind of – you know, in some ways that bugs me because the easy thing to do, especially when – it's talk radio and everything is just bag on people, but I think there's real reason for concern here. It's a tough you know, week the, in the, the business. Yeah, I mean the the Golden Knights just won two straight games. Yeah, um, they played well against Colorado. They deserved to win that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas, no, they did not deserve to win that game, but they found a way. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, it's not in the frivolous way of we found a way. It right. was that. There's been moments this year where the Golden Knights just simply weren't themselves and that we've seen them previously flip a switch and roll a team, even in the second or third period, and that was not happening this year. The tent was folding. They are missing players. We understand that. But I feel against Dallas, that was one of the first times where it felt like, man, as soon as Marcia so scored. Yep. And that LB save at the end, oh, my God, oh. or 30 seconds left. I was like, what an absolute – just the the butterfly slide across after missing the poke check. It's just that's exactly what 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 gets my goalie feelers going. Like, you're just like, oh, I know exactly how that feels and what a save to make in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when he went – we're talking about the save where he went right to left, caught his left edge, rotated, yep. came back to the middle of the crease, made a right pad save with the flipper. Yeah. Correct? Mm-hmm. Dude. That was mega. That save was awesome. It had me out of my recliner, Lindsay. And yeah. you know how much I love that recliner. You do. That was uh, that, that. I tell you what, that was the best purchase in my post-playing career. Was a recliner, and and it took me the better part of probably two and a half years to finally find the right one and convince uh, convince Mrs. McKenna it was a proper addition to the living room. Sure, it's uh, a tool, if about, anything. Yeah, necessity. Uh, so, yeah, that. Uh, that, that's a really good sign, though, for the Golden Knights that, hey, man, they need to trust both goaltenders. 100%. Like they, did, like, they didn't trust Malcolm Subban when he was with Marc-Andre Fleury. They just didn't. Mm-mm. And um, I, you know, I think the last two years, it's, it has been a luxury that they've trusted whoever was in the net, whether it was Leonard or Fleury. Yeah. And anytime you bring somebody in, there's question marks. And that was a great first game for Laurent Bossois. Yeah. I, I, I said on the on the show yesterday, this is the first legitimate backup that they've had and because tandems are a different situation. And it, that's not to say anything about say anything bad about Malcolm. It's just the situation that was. It's just reality. Man. Yep, it's and just, it. you have you have to speak the truth about things. Like, and 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 people need to accept that. And it's not. It's all about the judgment, right? But in yep. some cases, judgment is needed because if you just treat it as the copy or just look at it as the save rather than what it actually commands from the person that is making it, then you're doing a disservice to people, right? It's the nuance yep. of it. Yep. And so yeah, with I, that, do you want to make this transition here and just go into it and, and talk about what's going on in, in Chicago, what's going, what Kyle Beach has had yeah, to go through? and, I think, and just, we, I think we need to hash this out. Because I think that contributes to the doom and gloom thing that I, yeah. I think we're all feeling. And, and it's understandable why we would because we're, we're, I'm heartbroken for, for Kyle first and foremost and, and what he's done. And I'm super proud of him for being so brave and and I'm glad he's gotten the support that he obviously ha- has from from me from you uh cuz 
the other heartbreaking, you know, realization is that he's not the only one and this is only one sport. And, and it's just you can it's easy to see all the layers of hurt there is and how easily avoidable it was. But instead, it's all about the Stanley Cup. And this is the same culture you and I were raised in. And so it's I don't know. I, I feel like something broke, Mike. And I'm kind of sad that it took this much to, for it to feel this broken. Yes. And I tell you what, I've I've been busted up about it too. I mean, this is a guy I played against for you know I played against him for a full season. He was in Rockford, I was in Peoria, and that was 2012-13. After these events went down, mm-hmm. and you know, everybody always wondered, like, well, what happened to that guy? First rounder, sick player, he ain't just a bust. And when you're not mentally feeling right, you can't play your best, and that is a forever mental damaging thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like. You don't just recover from being. You changed assaulted. your light. You have and, changed. And I, I think that, in a lot of ways, it it really bugs me because there's still this perception that because he's a man, he couldn't have been sexually assaulted or something. You know, it's like, well, like there's still this like look down the nose to it that it's his fault somehow, and that's utter trash. It's the what are you wearing and, equivalent that that we trot out for women a lot when we when right. they bring up similar things. Right, and you know. I don't think people understand the power dynamics involved here between no. a coach and a player. I, I, your dream, you're coming out of junior, all these things. And I just, I, I think that there's a level of guilt to it, or there should be for some players. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I want to be honest here that when I heard Jonathan Taves talk and Duncan Keith talk, I think both those guys could care less right now. Like, I, and I mean that and that I, I think they're probably a, feel bad for. Kyle Beach and what happened and everything. But basically they're, what their words have said were, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Not my responsibility. Okay. I, I had my guy. But, boy, Stan Bowman and Alma Kaiser were really good to me, and they're yeah. good people. Like, oh, no. Sorry, dude. That's, that's not it here at all. And I'm disgusted by it because I, I feel guilty about being part of this culture of hockey that mm-hmm. we had for so long that I do truly think is better, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it in my heart of hearts. And I said this. I said this yesterday, actually, on on the Daily Faceoff show, that I think the reason why hockey has changed for the better can largely be attributed to the You Can Play project coming starting in 2013, 100 mm-hmm. percent, because it finally got people to be introspective and realize you just can't say these things. Yep. And when you can't, when you realize you can't say something. It makes you think of why you can't say that, and it permeates. Mm-hmm. So it went from being something that just supported the LGBTQ community to turning into something that, in my eyes, made us all better across the board. Yep. And, like, Lindsay, I think back to – this is all cultural stuff. Like, we're going beyond what happened with Kyle Beach and the Blackhawks and everything. Mm-hmm. But I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine, African-American player, played in the American Hockey League, played in the ECHL, played college hockey. And I asked him, I said, man, like, how late into your career did you hear anything racist or homophobic? And he said, whole, my whole career. And he said, some of the worst of it was from my teammates. Right. Like, when, Not the know, first time you heard it. When did you? When was the last time you heard it? And, right. and the last time hasn't happened because if you went back right. into the locker room, that's how the buddy-buddy culture, that's the boys club that Taylor Hall referenced last night, or at least a yep. symptom of it. And Taylor Hall is the one person. There's been a few. Andrew Ladd, mm-hmm. I thought, had a really good statement. He was on that team, um, you know, and, and he explained that he didn't know, but that he, you know, everything was – his statement was good, period. But 
Hall, really impressed. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Where are the superstars? Okay? Yep. If we want change in sport and change in hockey, I'm, I mean... 100%, Mike. Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid need to stand up and do something. And they need it to be from the heart. They don't need to be a canned ham statement from the NHLPA that was written to them and handed to them and say, hey, read this. And they need to get on social media, and they need to do this themselves. And I, I, I don't think they – I know that those guys don't want to do it, straight up. They no. don't want the attendance. By, they just want to play hockey. That changes their team dynamic and how they what? approach their game for, forever. And ultimately, that's, that's the scary part, and I think why so many people fight against this or fight against change or, or, or just avoid that, that introspection because yeah. – you have to change the way that you view yourself, and in turn, your actions and behaviors will reflect that, and therefore the people around you will change. And all that the hockey culture doesn't like that. We don't like change in general, let alone seeing our going down roads like this. It's just, I like you said, I, the power dynamics. I don't think people fully understand how ingrained just going with the flow team before me but not even team before me it's it's the fabric of that uh, that they're all holding it's the sweater right it's the sweater and and how I don't know because like I agree with you there's there's accountability there but they're also in the same dynamic that Kyle was where they don't have any power in in comparison to their coach and the other people above them and so that's where it's like they are absolutely holding the fabric of this this toxic sweater here. It but it is. doesn't necessarily and, mean that they, they're the ones that sewed it, they're the ones that issued it, or that it's their nameplate on the back. Yeah, and what's, and what's also not been – it's been called delight here by Kyle Beach calling out the NHLPA yeah. and Don Fear. And, oh, yeah. You know, Don Fier, like, here's the thing. Don Fear didn't actually take power until after this had happened, but he did have the power to do something about it, and he didn't. But here's the biggest thing, Lindsay, is that Kyle Beach was never an NHLPA member. Right. And the NHLPA actually directed him to counsel, to a counselor. So to their credit, they did something. But I can tell you from personal experience, the NHLPA looked at this situation and they went, he's not our member. It's not our problem. I yep. can guarantee we that. Can, we can chalk this up to red tape. Like, honestly, you can, yep. you, can say, you can actively say, well, I'll just drop this through the cracks here. And I think that's what yep. they did with Aldrich's personnel file as well. Are they sure? Like that, that's all of this stuff is writing on the wall. Like if, if somebody takes a bad pinch and it causes a two on one and it's a great goal, is it all, it, we have some fault, right? As goaltenders, cause we have some control of whether or not it goes in, but what about the play? <laughs> what about this right. decision and this decision and this decision, you know? Yep. And that's where, I mean, the NHLPA totally dropped the ball so many times. And yep. I know we've talked about this, like, it used to be that unless you played 100 games, you couldn't even access the NHLPA website. They just did the, the, the hotline last year in 2020 if you need help, right? Yeah. That's last and year. So, and so, like, this is – and basically they just – if you weren't a current member, you were dead to them. That's what yeah. – unless you were an absolute superstar, that's what it came down to. Well, now you can suddenly log into the website again. And I'm looking at this going, man, I was one who really complained about this loudly. So I'm thinking, hopefully I helped. Yeah. But – um. They've just they, they've completely not cared about people, and they look at a guy, and it's just this isn't our problem. Mm-hmm. But it was nobody's problem. That's the thing. He wasn't a PHPA member, which is the minor leagues. Yeah, he was in that gray area as a black ace coming out of junior, 
that he wasn't a union member for anybody, so he had no protection. Yeah, his it was Kyle's problem alone. It was his burden yep. to bear down to the point so, where they – it just the, – the, the mental skills coach with the – Jim it's Gary. his fault. It's it's yep. it's Kyle's fault. I, I, yep. There's no more toxic thing you can say to a victim of sexual assault because survivor anybody... implies there's been work put in that that they have. Yeah. To, at, at that point, when he reported, it, he was a victim. The when I read the report, oh. you know the fact that they covered up and did everything. That's awful, but Jim Gary. That guy's an absolute monster in how he handled it. That he was the mental skills coach and yeah. that's the route he went. The counselor. Wow. wow. Yeah. I, it, and, like, I just, it's so, it's all of the layers in the wide open. And, like you said, you're, that you're feeling kind of guilty that we're part of this culture. I, I'm in that. I, I've heard several other people talk about the same thing because it's just, it's such a perfect illustration of just how far we still have to go and that no matter what, as long as humans are around, there are going to be humans that do bad things and that in turn make yeah. them bad people. And that's also yeah. the frustrating thing because it's just like we, we expect to find resolution. We expect to find a result. Uh, we want there, there's results and then there's high performance. Right. But most of life, there really isn't an answer there really isn't justice to be served here because kyle's life is forever changed and while there may be positives that come out of this and we will learn from this and and it will help people something's yeah. taken away and there's an accruing cost that none of us will really be able to understand because it's unique to each individual it is and i think the most important part of this whole thing is that Kyle Beach had the guts to stand up and do this. I mean, yeah. he basically been out. He he been he basically he was outed in the report. Yeah. So he, I mean, in some ways, he kind of he kind of had to get ahead of it. I understand. Just yeah. At that point, it's like, why don't I just do this anyway? Yep. But and sometimes that's what it takes, huge, but it's not right. It still took a huge, mm -hmm. huge amount of guts to do that and be that open on national. I mean, all those things. Be prepared for it. Yeah. Because he didn't just go up there and wing it. He was ready. No. And the fact that Kyle Beach put his face to this problem and humanized it is what resonates with people because until people saw his face and heard his words and heard everything that happened and, and cried with him ruined his life mm -hmm. people don't care yep it takes that people and this isn't across the board but people just don't care unless they have a visceral reaction to something they see yep and I think that Kyle Beach is an absolute hero for doing that. He is without by doing that the other day. He's changed lives for the better. He's changed lives to, to find to find acceptance and an ability to move on and ability yep. to be yourself. Yep. And in this sport, amazing. that is so contrary. So to have to for people to have an example and inspiration to look up to, like if if he can be that brave, I can be that brave. If he can do this, then I can do this. Like that's how I that's how I take things from from other people if I'm struggling or if I've gone through similar experiences because yeah. most of the time we think that it takes like this her herculean effort to be brave, but it and it does emotionally, but it happens in a second. And but you have to prepare yourself for it. You have to go through the processing. You have to be willing to process the trauma and the feelings of it. And most of us are not even on that step yet. And so, I I I don't even think hero is a good enough word for him because I don't. I've never experienced anything like this. Of just 
even as a person who's always kept up in sports and, and news and been interested in, 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 in things like this and being a better advocate and being a better support system, like I, we'll look back on it and we'll, we'll thank, we'll, we'll thank that, that it happened in a way, even though it's awful. Cause it, you, we yep. can't, we won't be able to imagine what it was before or it just, it'll seem like so, so backwards, but I, I hope the people that are, were involved figure out their, you know, place in it as soon as possible. Cause I just, they can't be spouting out what they're spouting out. Right. It, yep. Then you're, you're working against it and you're, you're causing more damage, more hurt. Yep. That's what it comes down to. Yep. Well, my friend, I know that you have to go coach them up at the tournaments at outdoors, right? Just like the just like the ancestors. It is. There's a roof though, but it is outside. That's all right. So, yeah, I told the told the parents to bring a big thermos, a big thermos, you know, and, yep. and those that aren't driving, toss a little bit of Bailey's in there and have some fun, you know. The parents should yeah. be the parents should enjoy this as much as the kids. They really should, and that's make the it kind special of the bond for you. Build. Yep, that's exactly. Right. Well, not on the bench. Nope. Lindsay, I'm no. coaching. Well, that's so. what I mean. The people aren't special. You just try to make the experience special with everyone. That's it's same yes. words, just different direction. And uh, that's really the, the MO of all of our conversations and the nightcap in general. But uh, thank you again for joining me, my friend. I think that was probably our best conversation we've had, or at the very least, our most vulnerable. It was. It's always good, Lindsay. All Talk right. Have later. a good one. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.